This does seem very strange. Preaching to a camera is a weird thing. You can't see the whites of people's eyes. You can't see that people are nodding off on the microphone. And yet, for me, this is important because actually, throughout my adult life, <clears throat> I've never felt never felt God's presence more than when I preach it. It's interesting. Now, was that true when I was preaching to the camera? Probably by the, by the third one, maybe. Uh, before that, we're just too busy thinking, where do I look? Am I looking down too much? The other thing that just occurred to me, Daniel, uh, I, I was just thinking that if Rob had been throwing out the streets, he wouldn't have caught anything out there. <laughs> How have you? Have you been during lockdown? Lockdown for two years. Have you been? I know some people have been very poorly. Others, uh, myself included, have avoided being ill. Uh, we're grateful for that. But everybody's been affected. And it, one thing that occurred to me, the, the kind of hallmark I think this whole thing has left us with, that is still dominating our, our society. There's a deep feeling of sadness. There's a really deep sadness that life isn't what it should be. Those of us who are older are sad because of what's happening to the young people. The education opportunities that are being missed. <coughs> There's a sadness because human beings are meant for each other. We're meant to be with people. We're meant for physical contact. We're, we're, we're built for hugging people. We really are. And I say that as a, as a person who's incredibly satisfied with my own company a lot of the time. But we're meant. So I thought, uh, and I'll try and be brief, but I've said that before and failed, but I'll still try to be brief. I thought this morning, what I'm trying to do is, is start a little bit with where we are. We're trying to raise our eyes to something far bigger. So let me read. Well, um, you may wonder where we're going with this, but I'm going to read uh, 2 Peter chapter 3, um, from verse 3 to, the, to verse 13. 2 Peter chapter 3, from verse 3 to verse 13. Above all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, where is this coming, he promised. Ever since our ancestors died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. But they deliberately forget that long ago, by God's word, the heavens came into being, and the earth was formed out of water and by water. By these waters also, the word of that time, the world of that time, was deluged and destroyed. By the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. 
The heavens will disappear with a roar, the elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives, as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire, and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. This Christmas time, the thought that's dominated my mind most of all is the star of, of, of Bethlehem, maybe because of that uh, planetary juxtaposition, which I didn't, never did see. Um, because people thought, oh, this is the star of Bethlehem. No, it wasn't, by the way. So I bet Bethlehem actually came to rest, the Bible says, or, or, the, or Bethlehem. But it occurred to me that for those wise men to follow this star at that particular time, the most likely scenario is that God actually created that star right at the beginning as he made everything knowing that at that particular moment, at that particular time, that star that was created for a specific purpose would be there. Thousands of years before. And that, that really got hold of me. That really got me, got me thinking big time. These are serious days. Besides COVID and all that that's done, there are, there are huge global tensions around. Uh, more so probably than even uh, before the uh, Iron Curtain disappeared. In those days, as I was being, I, I was growing up a teenager, so there was lots of fear were we going to be mute any moment or lots of stuff. And actually, possibly the times are more dangerous now. And then, of course, there's all the personal tragedies that are going on, the heartaches. Uh, we heard some from some good friends going here from Christmas, so I say good friends with some of better commas, but the people who are very important to us at a particular time in our lives, that their son died in his 40s. Uh, just developed pain and doctors didn't understand it. Then all of a sudden, progressive cancer was diagnosed. Within five weeks, he was gone. All this is going on, all at the same time. So I want to give you some truths to keep in mind. Then I want to give you a history lesson. And then I want to tell you how to live. Alright? Very quickly. Just to keep in mind, God created the world for his own reasons and his own purposes. Not for our purposes. He created humankind, both male and female, and by the way, distinguished between the two. He gave our first parents a task to make the whole planet like the Garden of Eden. But they rebelled and failed in that task. And as a result, the thrown out and the whole human race was infected with this problem we call sin. Ever since then, creation, the very fabric of creation, has been groaning, the Bible says, as in the pains of childbirth, awaiting the revelation of the truth of God, awaiting God's final answer to it all. Then think about what God did. At a particular time, he picked one book, Abraham, Abraham as it was called then, and he made a promise to him that one day he'd have a son, and that he'd be the father of a great nation. Now, we haven't got time to go into the fact that that took an awful long time to try and fulfill it. That family that emerged from that son via Jacob became a nation whilst in captivity in Egypt, 
went down as a, as a large family and came out as a massive nation. Thus, chosen by God for all its rebellion, this nation became the vehicle by which God was to, to bring salvation to the world. Through that nation, the Son of God was to be revealed, the Savior whose birth we have been celebrating. I indigestion and heartburn last night. I was hoping after Christmas Day, but we always do a sort of Christmas Day tea thing on Boxing Day. You know, all that lovely stuff. Oh. <laughs> it's celebrated. Many prophecies were fulfilled in the coming of this Savior. He was born in Bethlehem, that had been foretold. He lived in Nazareth, and prophecies said he'd be called, be called a Nazarene. He spent time as a, as a toddler, if you like, in Egypt, because the Bible said, out of Egypt I have called my son. All this stuff that was there before was fulfilled in him. Jesus was without sin. Now, I don't tell that to the university. I, I know you know about, you know, yeah, even you people back home. Oh, especially for Gordon and Phil, jacket. Right. Um, Jesus was born without sin, born of a virgin, in a sinless life, and so was qualified to take upon himself the guilt and sin of the whole of humanity. He did this, and he met the legal penalty of that sin on the cross, so there was nothing more to pay. As a result, everybody, without fail, without discrimination, who puts their trust in what he has done and totally accepts that and trusts him with all their heart, everybody is totally forgiven and completely accepted by the creator of the universe. Isn't that exciting? Jesus then rose from the dead. He broke the power of death and gave eternal life to all who trusted in him. A life that begins at that moment of trust but then just goes on. And the Bible says that one day that Jesus is going to return in power and glory as King of Kings and Lord of Lords, judging the whole world. And to do this, God will bring the whole of the whole of the existence as we know it into a prophesied climax. His purposes will prevail. The reading we have talked about the elements burning, all that sort of stuff. And those who are his are guaranteed a wonderful eternity with him. Now, I said nothing new, okay? But what I have said is all the stuff we lose sight of because we only see it one bit at a time. And the point I'm trying to make this morning is that God doesn't see things one bit at a time. God sees the end from the beginning. He knows it all. God stands astride of time. He is limited by time. For God, yesterday, today, and tomorrow are the same. Now, I can't get my head around that because I'm a creature of time. It's almost impossible for me to think without thinking in terms of time. But God isn't limited to what I can do. You take on board these incredible words in Revelation 13, verse 8, which just happen to say, oh yeah, the Lamb of God, slain before the foundation of the world. How can that be? Jesus died on the cross at a particular time, a particular moment in history. And yet, according to scripture, he died before the foundation of the world. Now, if you're expecting me to explain that, I'm not going to. Except it's true. It's true. Because for God, the 
The day is like a thousand years. And a thousand years is like a day. Let's do a little timeline, shall we? I thought about going back to the beginning of creation. That could be controversial for some people, so we'll avoid the controversy. Let's just go back to it. And that was about 2000 BC. So let's imagine that wall over there. If you're at home, you'll have to work out your own walls, okay? Imagine that wall over there is, is 2000 BC. That's it. Right. And that wall over there is where we are today. But somewhere quite early on in that, you have Moses over that side. Then you get to 1000 BC. Yeah. And you get to uh, King David, and then you get to when Jesus came, and then you get to us, and four days have gone. Four days have gone. God, a thousand years. It's like a day. See, we see it so long ago, all this stuff that happened so long ago. And you read about Christians of the past, you think, oh, yeah, those poor old souls, they didn't know. In terms of God's timeline, people are still being burned at the stake for their, for their faith, just to bring to the ground. It, it, we see everything too close to ourselves. We see everything in terms of me and my and my needs and my hopes and my desires and what I need fulfilled. Where are we? Well, I don't know how long it's going to be before Jesus returns. I suspect it's not that far, actually. But let's say from the coming of Jesus to, to now, in that year, as we're, we're there somewhere, maybe, maybe getting towards the, the final wall of Jesus' return, maybe getting quite close. Where are we? I don't know where I know this. Wherever you are this morning, in all that vastness of God's creation, all that business of God being outside of time and all that, God created you and made you for his purpose. You're not an accident, you're not an afterthought, you're not a byproduct of the system that's going on. God loves you, he knows you by name, the hairs of your head are numbered. He put you into this time, at this moment in history for his purpose. Every single thing is worked out to the exact detail for his purposes, just as that star was made right at the beginning of time for that particular moment when Jesus would come. You are here because God wants you to be here. Because he has a purpose for you at this time. Right. Dashing on. History lesson. Empires have risen. Empires have fallen. And as long as history goes on, time goes on, they will do so again. The Greek Empire, the Persian Empire, the Roman Empire, the British Empire, many, many more, they've come and they've gone. What once seemed invincible has crumbled them into old stories. And what seems invincible now, if Jesus doesn't come back soon, will eventually crumble into just old stories. Plagues have come and gone. Viruses, if you like, they've come and gone. The bubonic plague, the septicemic plague, and the pneumonic plague, which all tend to get lumped together in the 14th century, killed between 25% and 60% of the population of Europe in their time. Numbers vary. A lot of them because of the, the, the plague itself, but many more because people died of starvation because not enough people were left to work the land. Now that's astonishing. 
there have been lots of smaller scale epidemics as well. People talk about the Spanish flu about a hundred years ago, which killed more people than died in action during the First World War. So yeah. we, you see, that, that's just happened. That's what it is. That's history. What we're in the middle of is what people have been in the middle of since Adam and Eve fell. The Church of Jesus Christ has seen revival at times and seen existential threat at the times. There's been times when, from a human perspective, it looked as if the church would disappear. And of course, every so often, some, some wonderful character comes out with some research they've done which tells you that the things carry on the way they are, the Church of Jesus Christ will disappear in the next number of years. I've known that figure being bandied around since I was about 10. The actual figure there is but you know the idea. <coughs> But yes, there have been times when the church has been such a laureate, you wonder, can it possibly survive? During the Dark Ages, it became trapped in superstition and ritual, and the gospel of grace was almost lost completely. Before John Wesley began his ministry and the Wesleyan revival happened in this country, the church was so trapped in hopeless deism. Deism is a belief in God, which believes he is remote and not personal. So it's a kind of God who winds everything up sets it in motion and it sort of goes off on its holidays and it's just going to happen nothing you can do about it and that was the prevailing theology within the church at that time it was so wrapped up in that that in the whole of london only four churches opened every week for worship you think we're in a bad way now and then through all these experiences and i'm just talking about the things i've read about the Reformation, which rescued the gospel of grace from the, from the uh, mess of, of ritualism. The Wesleyan revival, which brought a conversion and the experience of, of the Holy Spirit back into life. The birth of the Salvation Army, I have to throw that one in. Right, the birth of the Salvation Army. The Welsh revival, the Pentecostal revival, which was so uh, lambasted by the church at the time, but it's been so crucial, so crucial in the modern church. The charismatic renewal, all have pushed back against the tide of decline, and for a time seemed as if the tide had turned and it's pushed back again. Now we are, well, here we are. The Church of the West is being utterly ravaged by secular humanism. The problem with where we live now is not, as I read today, not that we're in a, a post Christian society, but too many Christians think they're in a post Bible society. We've lost, we've lost the truth. Oh, that's where we are. History. The point of me saying this is to make it clear that there have been hard times and blessed times before. The days we are facing are very serious, but make no mistake, God has had work through it all. And I suspect the day of the Lord's return is not that far away. In the middle of it all, God loves you. As a purpose for you in human terms, it may be dramatic, it may be tiny, but in God's purpose, it's vital, it's crucial. Nearly done. How then should we live our lives in the light of all this? We need, like I said, not really, we need to live holy lives, we need to trust the Lord. He does know what He's doing. Trust God, he does know what he's doing, because it would stir up an awful lot of people who would argue with me. 
If we are in Christ, we are deeply and personally loved by God and nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from that love, however hard life may get. We're going to spend eternity with him and it's going to be glorious and we're going to have a, 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 a renewal of fellowship with people who've gone before. This is this be my first uh, Christmas without any of my parents. My mother and I in January the 6th last year. This year. This year. You know, strange thing. Delighted she went because she needed to go. She was longing for heaven. She, she, she was in a poor state when she went. But boy, do I miss her. You know? I never knew her grandfather, her father. He died when she was 13. Godly man, I'm told. I've got lots of people to meet in glory. And, and that matters to me now when I get there. It won't matter to me anywhere near as much because Jesus will be there. But it's going to be people. It's going to be. If, if in this life only we have hope, we are of all people most miserable, says Paul. Leave their eyes fixed on, on the certainties that lie ahead of us. So let's trust the Lord. And let's seek to view life from our place with Him rather than where we are here. So let's seek to be filled with the Holy Spirit of God again and again and again. And if I had one battle cry through all of my ministry that I still want to keep shouting on the final day I take my breath, never, ever get nervous about asking the Holy Spirit to fill your life. All right, there's been so much theology out there just make oh, you must be careful, oh, you must be careful about that, be careful about that, be careful about that, and we've managed to put the Holy Spirit in this box that we can manage. He won't ever be kept there. If we want to be spirit-led people, we need to go into the adventure of the lower coasts and living with him. Let's revel in the freedom God has given us in the life of the Spirit. Jesus came to set us free. Yes, there are things we mustn't do and all that sort of stuff. Of course that's true. But this life is to be lived. This life is to be enjoyed. This life is to be grasped because this is the gift God has given us for now. He's placed us here for now. Let's refuse to fear. In times of hardship, trouble, and devastation. Hard though that is. And let's seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. The Bible says if we do that, all the other stuff takes care of itself anyway. Seek first the kingdom of God. And I really am very end to finish now. Two more things. Let us pray as if everything depends on our prayers. The final thing is this. Let's live as if we're expecting Jesus at any moment. Please. Why? Because that's how Jesus told us to live. He really did. Jesus is coming back. All right, you've got masks on, you can't shut. One of the things during this whole uh, odd time that's happened is my, my brother, uh, who is great, he found online this church choir and got me to start listening to it. Oh, now, most of you know I love the Brooklyn Tabernacle Choir. All right. Well, this is not very similar, except 
Most often, you know, it's prior, and I reckon the ages range from about 18 to 80. Okay? And they, they look from, they're from all sorts of socioeconomic backgrounds, some have got very strange faces. Um, I can say that because I've got one too. Yeah. Yeah. They're just people. They're just people. But there's something about how they sing, why can they sing, that, that, that really touches my heart. If you don't enjoy this kind of music, just switch off from it. But the song that I want to, this whole thing to finish with is a song called Midnight Cry. Let me read its context first. This is Jesus telling the parable of the ten virgins. At that time, the kingdom of heaven would be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps but did not take any oil with them. Oil, by the way, is a symbol of the Holy Spirit. Didn't take any oil with them. The wise ones, however, took oil in jars along with the herbs. The bridegroom was a long time in coming, and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. So I never checked. At midnight, the cry rang out Here's the bridegroom. Come out and meet him. Then all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise, Give us some oil. Our lamps are going out. No, they replied, there might not be enough for both of us, uh, both us and you. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. But while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet, and the doors were shut. Later, the others also came. Lord, Lord, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, truly, I tell you, I don't know you. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know the day. And that's what this song is all about. And if you don't enjoy it, well, I have some time.